<laughs> good day, good people. You are listening to another episode of Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jesse. Yay! It's wonderful. Yay. To and be we're here again. Again, yes. <laughs> and oh, this is, I suppose, another continuation of the cancel culture uh, conversation with some Dave Chappelle and other things mixed in there. So there are three people of note or two people in a particular situation of note in honor of people who have gone on to the ancestors. And the major one of note is uh, the people of the Bahamas, the Bayesian family of ours, the uh, African diaspora folks of the Bahamas who have perished in this current hurricane. The heart's just going out to the families dealing with that right now. And hurricanes are extremely damaging. People saying, well, you could just move somewhere. That's not easy to uh, do. That's the worst thing to hear. Not easy to do at all. I had an all. argument with somebody about that not long ago about uh, the same situation, Hurricane Dorian. We were watching it, and they said they had the nerve to fix their lips to say something like that. Like, oh, that's the thing when you live there. I don't know why they, they just move. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah, so, yeah. Wow. This reminds me of colonialism because the next person I want to name is Robert Mugabe. And depending on where you get your news sources from, he's either a person who is inspirational to the anti-colonial movement or he is an evil dictator. I have yet to see any African say he is a horrible person. If you were just sitting in your house and someone just rolls up and takes all of your items out and says, this is my house, would you allow that to happen? Yes or no? No. Okay. So that is the same situation with Zimbabwe. Mugabe's like, okay, we're here to take our land back as African people. And that's the simplest way to put it. And it's like, oh, but you're taking all the white farmers are not going to have and Africans don't know how to tend the land and there's a lot of white supremacist arguments in favor of the white farmers. And um, the white farmers, man. <laughs> Robert Mugabe has recently moved on to the ancestors. He was definitely a major figure in the anti-colonialist movement, anti-imperialist movement. And that is what I'm honoring. I definitely did not agree with all of Mugabe's views or policies he was very 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 anti-lgbtq that said i it's like bad brains bad brain is my favorite hardcore punk band of all time where they're very anti-lgbtq so you got again you can critique people you love <laughs> always gonna say that no one who was worth their salt in self-determination organizing for self-determination is going to support anyone just coming in and saying it's our land now you don't have to agree with everything Mugabe supported, but just on that level, understand that he was fighting against colonialism, fighting against imperialism. But anyone who supports Palestinian self-determination, you are also in support of fighting neo-colonialism. You are against, you are fighting imperialism. So if you can understand it from the perspective of supporting Palestinian people, the least you could do is try to understand and do some research in relation to what happened in Zimbabwe. 
And I'm just going to leave it at that because that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> and the third person would be LaShawn Daniels. And he's definitely an important person in relation to the primary objective of this podcast because he did work with Michael Jackson. Um, he co-wrote several songs on the Invincible album. He co-wrote songs on Brandy's Full Moon album. He, he worked on uh, Whitney Houston's It's Not Right, It's Okay, so he worked with Dark Child. That's awesome. I love those songs. Many condolences to everyone who has gone on to the ancestors. I was actually amazed at how many people knew who LaShawn Daniels was. I didn't know. I didn't know that he was well-loved by many, many people. Major condolences to his family, his loving wife, his children. I guess he was on some TV show with um, one of the Braxton sisters. I guess that's how a lot of people knew him. Um, I never seen the show and didn't know of his association with that. I knew of his musical connection. So he's loved by many people in a lot of ways. So many condolences to everyone who has gone on to the ancestors. One of the content creators I do enjoy looking at, he's probably old enough to, or young enough, I should say, to be my son, but I do enjoy his points of view. And uh, he made a video about... The Dave Chappelle special, the only thing is he didn't watch the whole thing. So he was mercilessly attacked for that, which is the reason why I watched it so I could have a fuller point of view on it. And if I'm going to critique something, I have made that mistake before for critiquing something and not having watched it. And I was attacked (laughs) and I learned my lesson. And the thing I didn't watch was Django Unchained. I knew I would not like it and I critiqued it on the fact that it was Tarantino having watched his films before. I knew it was going to be problematic. So of course I was attacked and somebody was nice enough to actually give me the screenplay. So you know if you're going to critique it and not watch the movie at least read the screenplay. And I did and I made another critique of it saying I knew I wouldn't like it and I still don't. And if y'all want to be so interested in a, a movie around enslavement of African people, watch Sankofa, something like Sankofa, which is a more intelligent reading of the trauma that happened to African people. It's just a game to Tarantino. We had conversations around that. He said, no, I respect your view. You did read it. So that's cool. And we just respectfully agree to disagree. And with Adrian's video, you could tell that he did not watch it and his view wasn't exactly fully formed in his being a person in the LGBTQ community. That's what his response was pertaining to. Uh, And so there were trans folks in the comments, folks in the LGBTQ community, excuse me, even supporters of Adrian who were just like, man, your view is invalid because you didn't watch it. And it was just really sad to see him attacked like that. Because usually people say, you know, I don't agree with you. But on this case, for some reason, people feel so passionate about defending Dave Chappelle. And I'm trying to figure out why. I'm trying to figure out this point that brings people together, regardless of political identity or even ethnic identity. 
why people are rushing so hard to defend Chappelle. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why, if I could just interject, I would say that um, Dave Chappelle represents for a lot of people this a fearlessness. You know, like he's able to say and in a way, it's sort of like what Trump does for a lot of people. Mm. Figurehead, you know, he can except he's a comedian, so he has a lot more freeway to just say it and not have any concern. The problem is the lack of responsibility. Right. Because I think people confuse the right to say whatever you want. And then the flip side of that, which is to just deal with the criticism and deal with why people would find it distasteful, because it's not just going to be a one size fits all. And I don't know why people are just resorting to just this one size. It's our response of, hey, it's comedy. Get over it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not how it usually works. I mean, if you're going to criticize something, there are other angles and approaches you can do it in which it's not being overall distasteful but just to have the camouflage of oh it's dave chappelle what are you getting offended for you clicked on his face you know Mm -hmm. that's a very simple response it's one thing to to say hey you know i watched it and hey even though i watched it and i watched the epilogues at the end i still have a problem with it i mean why is it that it's just supposed to be oh well you didn't get it no i didn't get it because there was something missing at a point he tried to address he could have addressed it better there are ways of really dissecting it and um it's good that you've been able to really look at it and offer a perspective that's deeper and i mean i know you're going to get into that which i'll let you do that well this is why i think political education is important for instance in the Chappelle skit even though that was my favorite part of the skit one thing that's missing in that dialogue or that analysis is you have the guns, but if you don't have the political education, you're just going to have a bunch of reactionary people with guns. This is why in the military, they have a particular set of educational tools, if you will. Uh, Any military wing is going to have some aspect of political education. When people say, oh, you should have guns, you should have guns without political education, it's not going to work. It's not going to be sustainable. My response to all of this And I do write comments on YouTube once in a while, but it's when I feel I have to step in (laughs) because because it broke my heart to see how many people were attacking him. And this is proof why it is important to look at something before you critique it, especially in this day and age where everyone's just going to attack on someone who has a critical analysis Uh, because it's attacking the status quo you're just a hater that's the word that was used a few years ago you're just a hater and now it's pc pc is now the replacement for hater or sjw or snowflake and my response is so i am a person who watched not only sticks and stones in full but the two epilogues that followed it as well While I agree with most of the commenters that watching it in full would give one a larger context of the content, which is why I watched it in full, I am a minority here in saying that what Chappelle did was pure, lazy comedy. The best comedy slash art, in my view, should observe the absurdities of the status quo and question head-on the systems of inequity and oppression. This is why some of the best comics also parody popular culture. This is why shows like In Living Color was so great. Even with the men on and handyman segments on In Living Color, what is seen as making fun of the LGBTQ plus and disabled communities, 
were actually consulted by and approved by said communities, which was confirmed by Keenan Ivy Wayans and others. Those characters were all recognizable in said communities and were beloved. And of course, you have Bill Hicks, George Carlin, and many others who picked apart capitalism, corporate media, militarism, etc. through comedic means. There became a major shift in consciousness in the comedy scene post-2001, and it seems to have been known quietly. Dennis Miller and Bill Mayer are the biggest examples of the evidence of comedy taking a more right-wing turn. Purely left-wing comedy is all but disappeared. People like Trevor Noah are on the other side of the same coin of mainstream thought. Liberalism is still pro-capitalism and tends to still attack marginalized groups and any organized effort towards self-determination. Sadly, Chappelle has taken this route as well. Despite him going home, Africa, to get peace of mind, his comedic framework has become more colonized. How can you rep the red, black, and green when your values are still instilled with a settler colonial mindset? While in the second half of the special, he slightly returned to the old Chappelle when discussing social, political, and racial inequities, much of the special utilized comedy at the expense of marginalized peoples, a huge right-wing tactic. Chappelle's style to me is now in the same vein as Steven Crowder and crew. Using contrarianism as a comedic trope is not sustainingly funny. It just makes you eventually look cruel. He targeted survivors of child and adult rape, domestic assault, trans, non-binary, and pansexual people, insinuated that only men could withstand humor. This was more in the epilogue. And he was quite open that he didn't care what anyone thought. You can do all that kind of comedy if you want. However, that does not absolve you from responsibility or accountability. And this new wave of comedy expects that to happen. The fact that Chappelle attacked a woman who openly acknowledged being a survivor of rape, again in the epilogue, had me lose any respect I ever had for him as a comic. And old Chappelle, to me, had such a gift for timing, for storytelling. And now he's resorting to problematic tropes. How can one ask a person who critiques problematic comedy to have thick skin or to stop being so sensitive? How can one accuse a critique of shutting down anything when the cries of PC or SJW are used just as much to shut down any dialogue? If one is to have thicker skin, wouldn't it behoove the person saying that to also have thicker skin and not be as triggered by the critiques? The less sensitive we are in a society, the less compassion and empathy we have for each other in a society. Now that's my commentary. <laughs> Claps and applause. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Again, I think it was wonderful that you really spoke to this other approach to have on it. I mean, Dave Chappelle is not saved from critique. And the fact that he has been in this situation should just raise flags. The fact that it's not, the fact that everyone is just on this whole trope of, oh, well, we can say it. he Dave Chappelle. I mean, what's wrong with it? There's something deeper to it as well. And this lack of accountability is pretended because Dave Chappelle still is offended by people who take offense. I mean, he's not the type of person to literally allow it to go past. I mean, he feels like he should just be given the benefit of the doubt. And that's problematic. I think that is problematic. I don't think it act, it actually answers to what Dave Chappelle is trying to accomplish, which, again, what would that be anyway? 
what is Dave Chappelle really doing in this scenario that's informing the world of a new approach, except for just saying whatever he wants to say and saying he can get away with it? Like he's not really adding value to what it means to be empathetic or to just talk about an issue or to tease somebody, you know, just in favor of, oh, I can get away with it. It's a joke. Get away with it. Don't be so sensitive. I mean, I do think on some level there is a value in confronting PC culture because in some way we've lost point of how to communicate with one another. But I don't think that's because of people being offended by anything. It's just that people don't really accept that there's all of these different groups in society and everyone is speaking their half. But then there's also the media influence as well. People have to be able to dissect when it's really coming from, because it's not really as bad as I think Dave Chappelle and a lot of other people like Ben Shapiro even is a perfect example of somebody that makes it seem as if, oh, we're being attacked. How could we ever, we can't say anything. But then the moment someone gives a, another argument, it's like, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. It's like, why can't you say that? Why can't anyone be able to be examined for what they say and break it down. And I think that's what you did with your reply. You're just literally breaking down how it would affect these different communities and how just this absolve of responsibility is toxic because if anything, it just creates this la-la land of situation. That's not what it really is. Well, I have a comment and a question (laughs) because to say you're going to be attacked, the points the, the points of view that Dave Chappelle had are mainstream point of views. You can hear the same exact views on Fox News. You can even hear some of those same views on CNN or MSNBC. So how exactly are Dave Chappelle and other comedians like him, how are their points of views being attacked when you can see them everywhere all over capitalist media? You don't right. see... You don't see strongly left-wing point of views, and I'm not talking about liberal because liberals along the lines of capitalism. I'm trying to figure out where they're being attacked because you can turn on the TV, you can read the newspaper, you can look at the internet and see the same exact thing. You can see Billy Graham, 700 Club, all of that stuff, say the same exact things as Dave Chappelle said in his last few specials. Now, I'm curious why they are feeling attacked. My thing is, they're feeling attacked because language is changing and more and more people are holding them accountable. Less people are saying, oh, I know my place. More people are organizing for self-determination. That means you're organizing for the elimination of hierarchies. Dave Chappelle is advocating whether or not he's openly saying it. Dave Chappelle is advocating for some type of social hierarchy. That status quo he's very comfortable with and his comedy reflects that. And I think that's what they're reacting to is the closing in on their problematic behavior, their problematic comedy. And my question is, what exactly is PC culture? Because to me, when people are describing PC culture, again, it's a reaction to the shift in how we view language. PC culture, all it is, is just respecting where other people come from. And if someone says, you know, I don't identify as a gender at all, 
please um, I, respect me as a non-binary person. Somebody says, oh, that's PC. All I'm saying is respect my identity. So what exactly is PC? Because you mentioned PC culture. Right. And that's a very good point. And so I would say PC culture is more to a sense of how people are able to communicate how they feel about something without it being seen as them trying to isolate that person. And this doesn't always show up well online. And so I think, you know, even using the word PC culture is sort of ill-advised because online, especially if you are communicating on Twitter, people don't really go out of their way to know who they're talking to, talking to. I mean, if someone doesn't explicitly tell you, for instance, if someone says, if they have an opinion of someone or something and it's read as being dismissive, that's not where it's actually coming from. And they say, oh, you know, you said that this sounds like you're dismissing. And then say, like, oh, I wasn't really saying that. But it's not really um, easy to pinpoint it specifically because, again, language is changing. And I think everyone owes the other person the right to say, hey, can you not use that phrase or can you not you know, address me as this? That's something anyone can really just come into terms with. But for whatever reason, people feel like more and more nowadays, they are not, people are just not responsible to the fact that language is changing. I think that's the biggest thing I took from what you're saying is, is true. Like the way we talk to each other isn't the same. And more and more people are involved in this conversation. So we have to respect that and how that comes. We can't just give it the the side eye or, or what that got to do with me because it's not just one conversation. Even Kitty got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, what you got to say? What you got to say? For real though, Olivia. Yeah. <laughs> Olivia, come on. We respect your views. What you got to say, Kitty? <laughs> oh, oh, you gonna be shy now? You don't got nothing to say now. You wanna be shy? <laughs> you wanna be shy? <laughs> oh my goodness, Olivia, you're adorable. I love you. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. My other question for you is if Dave Chappelle and others who defend Michael Jackson, I wouldn't even say Dave Chappelle defended Michael Jackson. But in the case of the fan base, I'll just say, if Dave Chappelle and others, quote, defended Michael Jackson against the claims of Robson and Safechuck without having seen sufficient evidence, they just saw that movie and decided for themselves, Michael didn't do that. Why is it they get a free pass for not seeing any evidence and those who saw the movie and believe Robson and Safechuck without having seen evidence, why are they attacked? I don't think that's fair. If we're right. gonna There's attack a people if we're gonna attack people for not seeing all of sticks and stones and having a critique about it and we're gonna attack people for having watched a movie and they believe Robson is safe, Chuck. We can't have this double standard. We have to have, if we're going to have a debate about something, all people need to be informed about what they're debating on. And I Absolutely. see this, this Absolutely. again, hierarchy and inequality of thought based on who and what we agree on. And it's unfair. And I'm not particularly defending people 
who believe Robson's safe truck understand the double standards are unfair. If we're going to beg, plead, argue with people to read whatever evidence in favor of Michael Jackson, we have to do the same for ourselves. What are your thoughts on that? No, you said it right there. I mean, there's really no other way of, of answering that. I mean, people can't have that double standard. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, well, Michael Jackson. I mean, again, that that's something we talked about so many times. Michael Jackson just gets blanket approval uh, without any investigation for a lot of fans. It just, oh, he's innocent. Oh, it's, you know, it's it really behooves us to really look at the facts, though, because that blanket approval doesn't look well when you're arguing against the case, you know, especially when there are people who are actually victims. It's a very easy thing to just brush it off and not really give it the weight. But don't get on the scale if you don't got the weight. So (laughs) (laughs) Prince said, don't get on the scale if you ain't got the weight. It's more hard to love than it is to hate. Say it. It's more hard to love than <laughs> There should be a, a book if you if people wanted to put a book out of Prince, what should have happened with that book is the uh, a statement a day. Like they have the calendars <laughs> statement <laughs> a day from Prince. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. He has enough songs for it. That would have been funny. <laughs> And the Dream Hampton thing, I'm I'm still thinking about that. And like Donald Glover or Childish Gambino, Dave Chappelle is what they call a habitual line stepper. You throw gasoline on the fire and then run away, which is what both of them do. When uh, Donald Glover he did This Is America, and then he said, Well, I don't, I did it. I don't really have a response to what I did. This is a piece of art, if you will, that got people talking. It was briefly controversial. And then you just step away and go, I don't really want to talk about it. And I see Dave Chappelle doing the same thing in his skit, even with the pregnant pause. So as he makes a seemingly profound statement, and then he'll say something to just throw that profound statement away, just to be controversial or to get people talking. And I don't think, I don't see that as being a very mature way of commenting on social situations. If you're going to step in something, stand beside it and defend your statement. With the Dream Hampton situation, to, to I found in a way he attacked her. A, he called her a friend and, and it might have been a way to seem condescending that, oh, she was my friend. And then she's decided to put me in this situation that I didn't necessarily want to be in. And so now she had to speak and go, wait, I haven't spoken to Dave Chappelle in eight years. So I don't know what he's talking about. And it was the rep to get people to do interviews who contacted him. It wasn't me, but he put all this pressure on her and to me, that is a form of misogynoir. And he has stepped onto those lines, as has Donald Glover. I think a lot of these men, again, are stepping into right-wing territory. And because people of African descent are known to be more liberals, or uh, as Isaiah Washington says in the Democratic plantation, like other people say as well, uh, <laughs> People of African descent are 
known to vote so-called democratic, so they're not associated with necessarily supporting right-wing views. And we're increasingly seeing African people supporting more right-wing views. That is interesting because, again, a lot of us go to churches. There's the gay dude playing the organ or he's the choir director or whatever it is. And we just go, oh, then we come out with these viewpoints. Of, if I had a gay son, I would throw him out or kill him. So what is going on? We, we have these double standards for ourselves when we're marginalized as a people. Uh, we're placed into these monolithic boxes, and yet we place other marginalized communities in monolithic boxes as well. Uh, Many of us even place people who practice Islam in monolithic boxes. People place folks in the LGBTQ plus community in monolithic boxes, and yet we plead, we shouldn't be monolithic. We don't all kill each other. We don't this, we don't that. Dave Chappelle is stepping into that line, and Donald Glover's also stepped into that line. And Donald Glover, you know, just one word on him. He he's very interesting because I remember that whole "This is America" thing, and just his like, "Oh, I'm not going to say nothing about it." He, you know, he's one to use situations like that just for attention, and then just to run away from it afterwards. You know, because he said a lot of problematic things, and people have definitely um, talked to him about it, and he just never really hits it on it. You know, he never talks about it because yeah. he's not accountable. <laughs> Even though people just says it and just like, oh, that's what I said. I don't have to say anything about it. That's it. Yeah, his comedy skits have been problematic as well. So for people to say, oh, the new millennium type of comedy, it's no, it's just as problematic. Just as problematic. And what the Dream Hampton segment of that special also shows me is that Dave Chappelle is not an intelligent cultural critic at all. He was being extremely obtuse in that segment. The fact that people like me knew why he was being called, he was being called to have a cultural criticism about R. Kelly. It wasn't because he knew R. Kelly. He, again, as I said in the last episode, was a huge part of the conversation around R. Kelly. He made a whole parody around it. So for him to be obtuse and be like, well, I didn't know him. And he's trying to throw Dream Hampton under the bus. And I do feel there was some massage noir going on. Uh, So just the more I think about Dave Chappelle, I just get really irritated with him and his right-wing talking points. And anybody defending uh, Dave Chappelle would probably, he's not having right-wing talking points. Again, you could turn on Fox, you could turn on Alex Jones, all of these more (laughs) right-leaning, right-wing, white-wing, whatever you want to call it, all of these uh, right-wing analyses are going to have similar, if not the same points that Dave Chappelle has had in the last few specials he's done. So we need to examine that. How can we talk about the man and white people and all of this, but our points of view match a lot of what we openly say we object. We need to, as African people, question that about ourselves. 
And another thing I wanted to talk to you about today, Jesse, <laughs> the double standards when it comes to how a lot of us view comedy. Because when Michael Richards was on stage using the N-word, two men walked out of African descent. And Michael Richards berated them, attacked them. And Michael Richards was critiqued all over the place on all the mainstream channels. Everyone was talking about Michael Richards. Michael Richards had to do a public apology. You even have Paul Mooney saying, he was my friend. I'm not talking to him no more. And then they started talking again. But everyone had a critique from Michael Richards. Why is it when people are critiquing Dave Chappelle, oh, it's just comedy, get over it. Why is it why is it there's such a fixation on particular types of comedy to critique? And when it comes to others, it's just comedy and you need a thicker skin. And I know I'm leading a question with a plan. <laughs> That's all right, though. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm op- calling me Oprah Winfrey. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> what do you think? Do you that. think is, that, is that right? Is that right? It's right, right? <laughs> but. To me, that leads to the whole aspect of racism is the primary tool to get people to uh, not understand there's a common enemy. And it's like, well, you're white, so you're better than these people. You have a step above other people, like how Irish people became white or Italians when in their respective homeland, uh, particular types of Irish people were beneath uh, other people. And you had uh, Sicilians were beneath Northern Italian. So you had that hierarchy even in Europe. But now you come to the U.S., everybody's white, but at least you're not a Negro. So there's this lack of focus on the common enemy we all have. Michael Richards, it's like that's just this low-hanging fruit, whereas um, other marginalized groups... <laughs> It's like, well, you know, you're you're not valued as much. We're still focused on this racial racial issue. <laughs> I love that you've been using that lately because that's exactly what it is. I think, again, there's a double standard there because we like to pick those who we can allow to get away with certain things. And I, I've always thought that was interesting. Now, some people are allowed to get away with it and then others aren't. I mean, it just puts to task how you approach it and how far you go to justify how many people can get away with it. No one should really be able to get away with it, even a comedian, because, again, it's about how you do it. If it's not just complete hypocrisy or just doing it for the for the joke of it, because, you know, you can do it like Dave Chappelle. He right now, I mean, just you mentioned his right wing talking points. He has so many white wing friends now and he can literally I mean he's the one who said he's giving Trump another chance or we should give him a chance he encouraged that we should this is the person who said it like that just tells you I mean if you know anything about Trump I mean if no one the fact that he said that I mean but again he made another stand up special where he was like you know Trump is in favor of me was that his way of saying he voted for him I don't know I don't know if he I think he actually said he didn't vote for him but Still, Trump is favoring him, honestly, mm-hmm. in terms of the tax cuts and everything else. He gets a far better deal than anyone does. And the fact that that was just a part of his routine of a joke, like, hey, you know, these people are voting for him. They don't understand that 
he's actually in my favor. You know, people, you know, I think it's it's important to really just look at it from all these different angles instead of just, oh, he's fearless. He can say what he can say, whatever he wants. Now, that's a very ignorant perspective to have. That's why I think your comment was so spot on, because you, you broke down how there are other comedians who have had similar conversations and it's been far better and far more effective than just crossing it off as something else. It's just astounding to see how people don't observe those double standards. Even people, I, I don't think people understood the context of the part of the skit where he said, why is it okay for me to say the N-word when I'm not one? I cannot say the F-word. And Just the conversation around that. And I'm sure if you talk to each person, you're going to get a different interpretation. But uh, even that has its racial implication. And it's still, even with that, erases African people in the LGBTQ community. From my take on it, it's implied that LGBTQ people are singularly white, even how he delivered it. So, and even how standards and practices addresses it. It's like, well, the people complaining are white, and, and whiteness trumps everything. Once again, even in that skit, and we don't right. understand the dynamics of that conversation when we're debating even around that 30 seconds of that skit. <laughs> With that, I want to address Daphne, the trans woman, and look at how this, I don't even know if it contrasts or compares to Caitlyn Jenner, because when Caitlyn Jenner first identified as trans, she was still Bruce Jenner, and she was very much a right-wing Republican, supported Trump expecting Trump to support the causes of LGBTQ people because Trump originally aligned with more liberal causes and even went on a more, quote, liberal platform. And because he's not the person who runs anything, those who run the show wanted him to have uh, more of a, if you will, platform. Mm -hmm. And so... And Caitlyn Jenner was like, oh, wait, he's not speaking for me. Oh, I'm I'm opposed to Trump now. The fact that everything is so self-motivated from what Caitlyn Jenner was talking about to even Dave Chappelle's special. It was self-motivated. Y'all pissing me off. I'm going to just say what I want. It had no concern for anyone saying, hey, this could potentially hurt anyone. And with Daphne, I don't know, Daphne. I'm wondering <laughs> if. Daphne identified as a white person first with Chappelle. Is Daphne a right-wing person? I don't know Daphne's experience, but I'm wondering, with the description of the gay man in the car who identified as white white first, according to Chappelle's skit, was that also in line with how Daphne was framing the skits for herself? I don't know. It's just a question I have out there because I think a lot. I don't know what you think. <laughs> well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I have no way of knowing, but if she was actually a right winger or she supported Trump, that wouldn't surprise me because there are plenty of people like Caitlyn Jenner, you know, who 
trans they may be they still are republican they still have republican views or they still have conservative views and caitlin jenner ferociously defends it and really tries it. but like you said it, it's so individually based and dave Chappelle individually based you know like oh i'm gonna just get away with it because i can't and again he's protected by people who are right wingers and left wingers i mean he had pictures with kamala harris <laughs> you know it's like what does that say? That says a lot. It says he doesn't really care about policy, per se, because Camilla Harris is on his side, too, in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, completely. It's it's a very interesting just dynamic how he talks about it almost from a societal point, but yet he's almost still sitting in the corner like, remember, y'all, I don't care. I got this. I got money. Like, really what's happening is sad that we can't communicate, but it's whatever, really. Like, he, he doesn't have the empathetic point of view. His whole thing is, it's going to be hard, but we got to learn how to communicate, you guys. We got to learn how to communicate. He's not going to charge those who are communicating badly, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not really going to complain about Trump. I mean, he does those kind of complaints like Sarah Mucci and a lot of other left-wingers who, they really don't have a problem with Trump, but they just have a problem that he's so mean or that he's on Twitter a lot. You know, like, oh, he's just, he's so mean. Like, they don't really care about his policy at all or what he's mm-hmm. given to the defense budget or any of that. It's just, oh, he's just so mean. He he just tweets all the time. And we got to get our country back in order because it's just never been so chaotic before. I just don't understand it. That's the kind of concern Dave Chappelle has. Like, oh, Trump said something again. But yet he's still admirable because he's gangster. Or, oh, yeah, he just he doesn't give a damn. He sort of likes that. The same with Kanye. I would argue that Donald Glover likely, too. And a lot of other, you know, celebrities that might say, oh, I have a problem with Trump, but they don't really have a problem with it. They sort of admire it, much like the media, because it gives them some sort of buffer. You know, they can talk about those things instead of the things that are actually affecting people. (laughs) You know, the things that actually reflect, you know, like the fact that more people are not able to survive, really, because they're working two or three jobs just to keep bills up. And they ain't talking about that. That's not that's not on their issues of which, you know, capitalism is not, of course, they defend it. So there you go. I don't know why. <laughs> Dave Chappelle tells a lot more jokes about him having money than he used to. He mm-hmm. actually used to parody yeah. like himself. And now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Fine with that. So many jokes about him having money now. It's like, wow, he's literally become that now. Mm-hmm. Speaking of gangster, quote unquote, 50 Cent. So here's the other double standard uh, I'm asking in relation to the Michael Jackson fan base. 50 Cent recently made a Twitter post or Instagram. I don't even know, but (laughs) I'm not on social media too much. But he made a post that stated, in his view, Chris Brown was now better than Michael Jackson based on record sales or something, I think. And he goes, I can't believe Mike wanted to touch the little boy's booty. And, of course, wow, he got jumped on. And remember, he was the same guy on that song on Michael Jackson's, uh, well, it's not really Michael Jackson's album, but he was Monster. on that song Monster. Yeah. yeah. So, but that was posthumous. So he says, I never met Michael Jackson, but you, were, you decided to be on a song. So what does that say about you? Paris Jackson decided to respond. I think the only thing she said was, um, 
the 2003 Super or 1993 Super Bowl. I think that was the only thing she said. If you never met or saw him, just watch this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so my my question of the Michael Jackson fan community is, Dave Chappelle alluded to that as well. People claim that he supported Michael Jackson, but in not only the 2005 skit, but the 2019 skit, he posed the question, what if Michael Jackson really was? He didn't outright say he did it, but he still posed that question. And yet Dave Chappelle is praised for supporting Michael Jackson. I do not understand this, and it's a major question I have. I don't understand it. Yeah, well, he can get away with it because for whatever reason, they feel like, oh, <laughs> it's Dave Chappelle. Ugh. It's simple. So all of these fans who vehemently defend Michael Jackson, who pick on Eddie Murphy for telling a joke from 1984, even though he was friendly with Michael Jackson, or the Tommy Davidson skit, Am I Black or White? They'll pick on him, even though Michael Jackson thought that was funny. and told. This is the problem. This Michael Jackson exceptionalism. (laughs) Like... Michael Jackson can do no wrong. That narrative needs to change. And I think if anything, that's the biggest prayer I have for the Michael Jackson fan community is to diversify how they approach Michael Jackson as a human being and artist. Because right now, the only narrative they have going for them is that he was a godlike man that did nothing wrong, that was completely targeted and had no responsibility at all because he was just naive because he had a horrible childhood. And that is not okay because... It just eliminates any kind of, you know, like Michael Jackson saw these people funny. Like he knew people were laughing at him. Like, come on. You think Michael didn't like I appreciate when people are honest about how Michael was like he wasn't this angel. He wasn't this saint. He fronted a lot. He even admitted to being that way. So like this whole, oh, he could never do anything like we don't have the right to be like that with someone who was already so private, who didn't really reveal anything about his life. We knew he was not guilty of the things that people accused him of in a court of law. You look at the documents, you can see that there's no evidence pointing to that. But we also don't know anything else. We don't know how he really lived his life. And just this godlike image that we have of him is really upsetting because I can't even talk to some of my MJ friends that I used to. Um, well, I've lost contact with some of them, but just the ones that I do, there's this sense of... Like, how far are you going to put yourself out there as a defender for Michael Jackson? Like, it's almost getting absurd. I mean, it is absurd at this point because very I few- think it's hilarious even looking at the transcripts. They put that dude's tea all out. And for some reason, so much of the fan base ignores that. Yeah. They'll get on anybody else for the same kind of thing. But... Mike Jackson looking at pimps up, holes down, and oh, that's his purse. He's not gay. Are you kidding? But if someone else looks at that, oh, that's terrible. How can you look at that? Oh, how can you put? I don't understand it. It's it's insane. How how can you put wine in a soda can? Oh, they praise him all of that. They spilled all his tea, and you know, you know that he sank down in that chair, going, "Oh man, the the image of me is going to change." But they didn't care. They did not care. The fans give Michael the ability to just, and this is the problem because it's not, it's not rational. 
You know, it's a dangerous, if anything. You can't say it's not. Dangerous. The fans are so dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but how can you praise Dave Chappelle for insinuating just because he said he didn't think Michael did it, but he insinuated the possibility of him doing it and you still praise him and a joke from 1992 you attack on YouTube, even though Michael saw it and invited Tommy Davidson to, ne- to Neverland. How? Why are you attacking an old joke that Michael found funny or at the very least amusing? What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> Come on now. And again, Eddie Murphy, the joke from Delirious, Tito, give me a tissue. Jermaine, stop stop teasing Tito, give me. That was funny. I'm sorry. It was funny. It's funny when I first saw it. It's still funny. (laughs) I don't understand how people attack that joke. That joke. Seriously, you attack that joke? (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely insane. We don't give it the fullest objectivity that we could and it shows and one more thing on this Dave Chappelle issue uh, I could talk about this all day because there's a whole bunch of angles you could go but the idea that the silencing of Africans in the LGBT community in light of you know again is just a joke have thicker skin And then Dave Chappelle's joke about Kevin Hart saying he was just joking. When you make a sentiment like that, that's coming out of something you believe. You may think it's funny, but it's coming out of your belief systems. Why would you straight up say you would murder your son? Why would you say you would throw them out the house? Why would you say you would hit a dollhouse over their head as if, all gay boys are feminine. That's the first thing. So you're attributing gayness to femininity when there are many, many non-femme gay men. There's a diversity of experiences in the gay community, just like there's a diversity of experience in the heterosexual community. But he's assuming because your his son was gay that he's automatically gonna like dolls. Like that that's just problematic in the first place. <laughs> yeah, and that kind of idea is very common among a lot of people. I'm just, Right. Unfortunately, right. association by color. If you like pink, you're gay, and mm-hmm. you know you can't play with dolls, or a girl can't play with construction toys. Obviously, they don't know anything about bears. I'm just, <laughs> but, but there's also the gender dynamics in in same gender loving relationships. To not understand that that plays out on all levels of relationships in some cases is to not understand relationships and just like you know in a relationship a heterosexual relationship you could have a woman that is a little bit more masculine or the guy is a little bit more feminine to the outside world but to those people it's uh, something different so how the world reads something could be different than how those individuals read it and to assume that your son is going to play with dollhouses, that's something to your belief system. So when Kevin Hart is on that show, The Shop, I guess, I think Le- LeBron James produces it. Uh, so they're in the barber shop, and it's The Shop uninterrupted, and Kevin Hart has a glass of wine, 
And I know he just got in a car crash. Who knows if he was drunk? I don't know. But he plays willfully obtuse when it comes to Lil Nas X. The host is saying, well, you know, a Mr. Fame, you wanted to make an announcement. Kevin Hart jumps in and he goes, what? That he's gay? So what? That he's gay? Why does it matter that he's gay? Even though he just had a huge controversy around this anti-gay joke. And he's playing obtuse and saying, it doesn't matter if you're gay. Lil Nas X like, look, man, if you grew up in the hood, you know how homophobia is encouraged in our community. So don't play obtuse for me. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing that. That was essentially the exchange that happened. And it is amazing. After all of that, Kevin Hart would just act like that whole thing didn't happen to him. Lil Nas X, him being 20, I think he's 20 or 21, he reminds me of when I was 20 or 21, didn't necessarily have a solid analysis to go, hey, Kevin Hart, you just had a Twitter entry which got you in trouble. Why do you think I had internalized homophobia because of people like you? Like He could have straight up said that and shut it down. But the way they came at him, he was like, uh, 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 oh, but you know. <laughs> so, uh, but then he came up, well, I know with the level of fame, quote unquote, that I have now, I know my sexuality shouldn't be important. And right after that, before they cut off, someone goes, that's right. So again, it's still erasing his range of experiences. And the fact that he thinks he has to do that just from my interpretation of that is sad you have to be one thing or the other and what person fortunate that they had him on that like i saw that segment and i would like to see the full thing but i don't like the fact that they had this guy on there with you know especially kevin hart it's like why is he there as some sort of barometer to act as if he actually cares about it i mean it just was framed to be i just saw it in a nefarious manner like i didn't i didn't like the fact that he was there on his own and like you said he could have definitely if he was a bit more mature not that he's immature but you know i'm just saying his mindset like he didn't realize he could have shut that whole thing down instead he was caught off guard and you just can see it was awkward for him because he wasn't really sure they were he didn't know how they were gonna talk about it and it made him i'm I'm sure he's gonna be able to look back at that and say yo they they set me up on that one because it wasn't you can just see with the clip, and I'm sure there's deeper context, but just watching the clip, it didn't look like he was prepared for how they approached him with that. And right. I don't think that was cool. Not at all. I wouldn't say, like a lot of people, are saying, I wouldn't exactly call it gaslighting. It was definitely goading him because yeah, yeah. I, I think they knew that he, just the way they set it up, they knew he wasn't prepared. And I think whoever his people are PR or otherwise, I think they might have a conversation with him to say, okay, when you're in that situation, here's how you handle it. He also didn't have anybody in his corner to step in and say, yo, Kevin Hart, didn't you just have this experience where you got fired from your potential job because of your homophobia? (laughs) So, um, And also, regardless of where we come from, each of us have a range of experience. Whether or not we identify as LGBTQ, heterosexual, non-binary, African, European, whatever it is, we don't just have a singular experience. We are African, 
you know, working class, we're African, we're rich, we're African, we're heterosexual, we're, we're European, we're Asian, we're the, we have a range of experiences that intersect. So to require Africans in particular to erase a certain part of themselves, their sexual orientation, based on your point of view about it, you're erasing somebody's humanity. You're asking someone to erase a portion of their humanity. And that's another thing we need to think about. To say, well, I don't agree with gay people. You're, you're disagreeing with people's existence then. Just as if uh, people right. who and are white supremacists. Well, it's like saying people who are white supremacists says, well, the Bible says this. So you're not human as an African person. Uh, you're three-fifths of a person. But that's okay that you declare someone in the LGBT community not a person. Yeah, it's like you can't disagree with someone's right to exist. Like that's the part that I always reiterate when I speak to people and they give me some sort of absurd talking point like that. Like you don't have the right to disagree with someone's existence. You can't do that. You can't deny their humanity just because you're following something so religiously or just because of a bias you might have. It's just not justified. So like we have to just be willing to listen to each other and understand that it's not as like we can't just be passing up on these real terms. Like it's is unacceptable. Yeah. And I want to ask you a few questions regarding the last episode, but I want to make a little bit of a statement in relation to this more recent type of comedy into a fifty cent tune. You know ask <laughs> Got no talent, not even just a little bit. Okay, so now we're gonna, <laughs> now we're gonna, I'm gonna ask you. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you some questions <laughs> because I, I was thinking about what you said, and I, I wanted you to expound more on some stuff. So, with the R. Kelly situation, you were saying I'm not connected to anyone's work. It sounds you saying, well, it doesn't bother me because I'm not a fan. But again, thinking about how art is created, the implications of art, the intent of art. R. Kelly, some of those songs were related to the harm he did to people. So it's not necessarily, well, I'm not just a fan, so I don't care. Because that's, to me, similar to what people say when it comes to how people are critiquing Dave Chappelle. Well, I'm not gay, or you're not gay, so why do you care about the LGBTQ community? You're not this, so why do you even care? And so I'm wanting you to expound a little bit more on that. Well, if I said, because um, you're right, like that music likely had some inspirations, no doubt, to horrible things with underage girls. Um, I just think that when I say I'm not a fan or that I don't, I don't, I, when I've heard his music, when I first heard R. Kelly's music, it was not connected to any of his personal like, well, I didn't know anything about him. And then when mm-hmm. I found that out, it definitely made me like, oh, that's distasteful. And I certainly didn't necessarily go to. But at that point, I discovered so much other music. So I'm not personally connected to any of his music so much to where I feel like I have to erase the moments that I have had with those his music because I've had a lot of good experiences with his songs. So I don't revise or I can't revise or somehow look at those experiences and be like oh but he could have like I don't travel that far with it it just because it's just a song it's not anything I don't make it or it has never connected to me on that level and if it did even 
I don't think just because you're able to make a good song that makes you a great person because you can be a bad you can be a good person and still make horrible music. You mm-hmm. can be a bad person and make good music. Like I don't think either or is or at least for me, I don't I don't need the when I obviously find out about those things that you do, it makes me look at it differently. It's like, oh, uh, that's icky. And it just becomes another fact, like, oh yeah, this person it's just like any poor any um I forget the well, I would say probably any modern author from I mean there's the connection is sort of crazy when you look at it, but they've they have had pedophile connections, especially childhood authors. Like mm-hmm. um, you know, and that and when I found that out, I found that out recently, it was like, whoa, another thing of, you know, just sort of how you don't I don't know what people are doing in their life. I'd rather not know because of that, because people got all kind of sh- you know nonsense that they're dealing with. And um, but to answer your question, I would just say that, like I reiterated, um, just because you did something awful doesn't automatically mean for me I can't listen or I'm not going to listen to it. Mm-hmm. It changes, of course. Maybe that'll change over time. But where I stand now, it's not like I'm going out of my way. If it comes on the radio, likely I'll skip it. Mm-hmm. You know. Cause it's like I don't need to listen to this. It's because right now, like this is this is why I said even though I don't agree with quote unquote cancel culture, R. Kelly is canceled to such a degree where it's like his music now always makes one feel kind of weird. Or it makes me feel weird, you know, because it just has. Been, there's been enough against him that makes it not even worth the trip. It's like ah, I'd rather not even go through it. <laughs> I would say you and me are at a party. R. Kelly comes, Step in the Name of Love, or whatever song that people put on at cookouts and parties. You would, you would sit. Th- you're saying you would sit there and go, okay, well, I don't like R. Kelly, but it's on. I wouldn't even. Yeah, if that came on, I would likely be like, ooh, this is awkward. <laughs> I would identify it as awkward, which would be enough of a curve for me not to do anything. I wouldn't dance to it. That's for sure. Like, I would not be like, yo, it's my jam. Oh. No, it would just be because usually with me, with R. Kelly, like his music in particular, that that song reminds me of my sister. And mm-hmm. I remember when she would play that a lot and I would always say, oh, I like this song, even though I wasn't really you know, listening to music like that. I remember just loving the music video. She always played it. And I remember it being at some, you know, our family reunion. And it was one of those things we would dance to. So mm-hmm. that's what it reminds me of. But it's not enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, let me. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, I'm, I'm saying the lyrics. No, I'm just traveled there in my brain. And it puts a smile on my face. <laughs> no, it's not say, easy for that. Say you were say. No, nah, I was gonna. No, nah, I'll say it anyway. So say PYT comes on, and people are creeped hey. out about it now, right? I, hey. as you know, I don't like that song anyway. Right. Never did. But <laughs> say, say that song comes on, and then a R. Kelly song comes on. So yeah. you chilling the PYT on the floor. R. Kelly comes on. What would you do? <laughs> That's such a good scenario. I would probably appreciate the transition and it would be awkward, but I would likely find my, I would swarm my way out of it. Because again, my connection, to, I've never danced to R. Kelly. Either. Oh. Like, it's not like my connection to R. Kelly has always literally been, he made that song. I actually like the melody of that song. So, you know, I might hum it, but I'm not, it's not, it, 
his music is like any other because there there's a lot of other musicians I listen to and I don't have no idea what they've done in their lives. And I and I'm gonna reckon and I'm not a cynic, but I reckon a lot of people have done some shady, crazy things in their lives. Um and they probably haven't dealt with it at all. So I don't know because I don't know that, I'm not going out of my way to be like, oh well, because I know R. Kelly is doing this. That means every song is different if this came out before I listened to his music. But but when I heard his music originally, again, I even though those rumors are not even rumors, but even though these stories were out even then, I didn't know about him. I wasn't on the internet looking at his life. I didn't know he was, you know, I didn't I didn't listen to the Chocolate Factory. I remember that whole in the closet thing, how everyone would play that, and it was just this huge thing because it was like this skit and it was a song. And but even then, I. It wasn't until I found out when I found out about Aaliyah, it was it was really with Aaliyah when I was like, oh, that's when I really just stopped listening to his music. And that was probably 2010. But I heard the, uh, you know, the album AJ Nuts but a number and I saw his picture and I was like, yo, what? They made this came out. What? It just really made me like, Ugh. and that's and then after that album Love Leather, he did. The album after that was called Black Panties or something like, and I was like, why would he name his album that? It just made me so. It made me even more disgusted. <laughs> That's right, he did. And then he had that uh, album with Jay Z. Right? Mm-hmm. This was after all that stuff, Jay Z. Oh yeah, I know. And see, Jay Z, you know, he ain't ever. They ain't gonna ask him about it. They can ask Dave Chappelle. I wonder if Dream had <laughs> she would dare not. I don't know. Maybe she did. I don't know. She said a lot of other people did deny it because he wasn't the only person that said no. But I wonder if she said, hey, Jay, because he definitely Jay-Z. I'm not trying to drag his name. Just putting out the facts. He did do an album with him. I remember that being talked about originally. Like, I remember some people were talking like, why isn't Jay-Z talking about R. Kelly? Because he did a lot with R. Kelly. Like, that album was huge. It was one of the, I want to say it went number one. Really? Huh. Well, that's my one thing that I side eye Mary J. Blige on. I love her. I saw her in concert last night. Yay! It was, you it was amazing. It's been on my bucket list for years 20 billion years, and I finally got to see her. But I have to say that is one thing I side eyed her on because she was asked to be in a documentary as well and declined. I don't know why, but that is the case so uh, i will cite her on that there's a few things i cite her her on um, even though i love her again it's okay to critique people you love <laughs> her staunch devotion to uh, the democratic party uh, you know <laughs> a whole other conversation <laughs> let's not mention what he did with what she did with uh, hillary clinton because that goes down as one of my most historical <laughs> Yeah. Mary J. Blige is funny to me. I mean, I know all of these things serve real consequences in a sense, but when she did the crispy chicken commercial, when she did the Hillary Clinton interview, it's like, she is hilarious to me. I still, as much as I am disgusted by Hillary Clinton, I can't be mad at Mary J. Blige for that. No, not at all. Y'all gotta go to Bruce Springsteen for that. It's his song. Why are people mad at Mary J. Blige for singing it? It's not her song. <laughs> it's American Skin, a.k.a. 41 Shots, which is about Amadou Diallo. Why are people mad at Mary J. Blige? 
much. And Bruce Springsteen is from New Jersey. He performs it and gets booed because a lot of his audience is right winged. Same with John Mellencamp. And both of them are liberals. And people hate that America. He's like, why y'all like this song and y'all right wing? Y'all don't listen to lyrics? <laughs> but but uh, Born in the USA, Reagan used it. They had to put a cease and desist. And people I love I, that. I know people don't even look at it like that. They, they're just so surface. But the, I will say one of the most moving performances of American Skin is by Living Color. And Corey Glover, it, by the end of it, he's just in tears is so moving people don't understand the context of the song the way they film mary j blige doing it they put her in a situation she gotta have different people repping her because the chris <laughs> i feel so bad for mary sometimes because oh <laughs> uh, and i'm not la- i don't want to sound like i'm laughing at mary j blige but i'm just laughing how it's all kind of come to be over time. Because when you look at it in in retrospect, like I had to watch that crispy chicken video again. I had to watch that. And, and I haven't got to the Hillary Clinton interview yet because I know I'm going to laugh. And it might kill me. Because I literally, like, last laugh attack, you remember, because we were talking, and I thought I died. Like, I never laughed so hard. It was that funny to me. And I don't know why. Because it's literally just her, you know, doing what she needs to do. She had to pay her bills, you know, and just being. But, yeah, she does need better people directing just these kind of conversations because they end up looking funny in the future i'm telling you they make her look just like she don't know what she's doing how they set it up you look at the other burger king commercials they were stylized or whatever and how they did mary (laughs) (laughs) they did did just dirty and then how they edited yeah they did her dirty how y'all do Mary like that? She's singing Bruce Springsteen, and and half the people don't know it's Bruce Springsteen, and they're like, "What, Mary? You clowning? Why are you soft shoeing for him to be cutting?" And, and she was she was being very sincere. That's I can't get mad at me. I don't agree again. She supports the Democrat Party wholesale. I don't support that, but I really do feel sad for how they're representing her through editing is so sad just looking at mary j blige's journey and how she's working on her healing i I commend her for that and i may not agree with her political ideology or party she supports but i can i can celebrate a woman's journey and you see that when she's performing you see that but this crispy chicken thing like how they do mary uh, y'all got mary get come get your people yeah Get your people. They be doing you dirty. I'm just. Yeah, it was it was insane. So yeah, that's something about just oh ridiculous. Yeah. Come get Bruce Springsteen. Get mad at him for doing that song. Don't get mad at Mary because she was singing. So people his... don't go through the context. They don't they don't take themselves on the trip to see what you know, what led to that. And that's what's unfortunate. We don't go further, and we should. We really should, mm-hmm. especially in situations like this, because then it just makes for a better story. It ain't as bad to take when you know the backstory. But they got so mad at her. And Hillary Clinton looking at her like, what's wrong with you? 
like the whole how they edited yeah. the whole thing. The whole thing that. just yeah, it's the and whole they, thing was so unfortunate. And I remember being in Sweden watching it, and it was so hard because I could not like I just couldn't. But what I loved about it, and this is of course a reflection of the fact that I'm a part of the generation with meme culture. But there's so many memes that came out of it that just made it so. <laughs> really? <laughs> I have to see you one of them. I actually used one of them in a video of mine because <laughs> it was actually called uh, GIFs and Statistics. And mm. it's called Ain't That Some Shit. That's what the video is called. It's an acronym for that. But um, I've seen that video. Yeah. I've yeah. Seen well, so, yeah, I have one of her. Uh, frames in that video because she you know holds her hand over her mouth sort of and like it's it's just an expressive <laughs> like standstill of Mary J. Blige but uh I'll be she, doing Mary dirty like that I, that's so wrong don't yeah, do Mary like that don't do Mary like that don't Mary does not deserve she does not deserve the legend she is Dude, don't do and her. I want to mention again on record because this is a great start I told you this so when Prince flew me out in 2014 to listen to Plectrum Electrum and Artificial Age, while I first, like, he was literally jamming to, so I went into the back because I, my interview had finished with him, but I was still waiting in the um, the, the lobby to go home or do whatever, you know, I was like, well, what do we do now? Because I heard music in the background. I was like, can I go in the back? Like, they had me left there. I was just waiting with Kirk. He was like, you can go back there if you want to. I was like, well, okay, I'm going to go. Like, do what the music is. And Prince had playing, um, rem- it was, I want to say it was a new song. It wasn't a remix. It was a new song, but he said, yeah, I'm giving this to Mary J. Blige. It was, and it, it sounded amazing. She was on it. It was funky. And I was like, man, this is, this is so good. And I don't remember the name of it at all. Cause I came in there where it was like, it was nearly over by the time I came in and maybe a minute more. And then it, I was like, what was that? He was like, yeah, I did this for Mary J. Blige. She's supposed mm. to. I don't know if she's going to use it for her new record or not. Oh, it was so funky. It was so good. Like, I remember, I, I was just, like, as soon as I walked in, and I was sort of like, not, you know, because it was Leanne LeHavis in there, Trevor, Joshua, Third Eye mm-hmm. Girl, so that would be Hannah, Donna, and Ida, Prince, and uh, also Leanne LeHavis' manager. So mm-hmm. it wasn't a lot of us in there. And so just to see, and everybody was dancing. Like, I was dancing. As soon as I walked in there, I just started dancing. Wow. But yeah, it was it was really. Can you imagine a whole album produced by Prince? Mary J. But why did that happen? And it could have happened. I mean, Prince is the type to produce. He probably produced an album. They may have spent a week together and they have enough material to do an album. I would not put that past them, because that's how he did. That's how he wrote. He's like, all right, you come out here, we'll we'll rehearse, and then before you know it, you got an album. Like, yeah. Like, don't work with Puffy no more. <laughs> yeah, leave Puffy in the puff, man. Oh, man. So, yeah, there was that performance in 2012 that they did with iHeartRadio. Nothing so, compares to you with a guitar solo. I'll never forget that because that was life changing when I saw it. I was like, <laughs> is he literally performing Nothing Compares to You with a guitar? It, my life was made. Because I, I love the guitar solo in that song. <laughs> oh, oh! I just, I just looked and somebody said on Prince.org. Here we go. 
Mary J. Blige can't sing no more. I'm like, I just saw Mary J. Blige last night, and she could sing. You need to sign in. No, I don't. don't have an account, and tell them that. You need to be like, you know what? You know what? Take this trash off of here. (laughs) Because a lot of people who are critical on anyone on the org are white. I'm just putting it out there. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of anti-blackness on the org. And I've made mention of this for years. And it's the truth, because, you know, mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of sentiment against other, I mean, outside of Prince Protégés that are not, well, he didn't really have many of them that were not people of color in general. If you're not going to include Carmen Electra. <laughs> but This thread was started in 2003? 2003, uh, they can't sing? Are you kidding me? Oh, are you kidding me? I would say if I had any critique similar to Michael or a lot of other people, lower the pitch of your songs. So, of course, Mary J. Blige was singing to the same pitch of the songs and the higher parts. John Bon Jovi does it. A a lot of people do it now who are older. They just have the audience sing it. But if you're going to sing the whole song, just lower the pitch. Mary J. Blige is still singing. I don't know what they're talking about. And this is 2003. So this was this was Maybe you should listen to a song she did back then and see what they talk about. A live performance put live Mary J Mary Mary J Blige ah Mary J Blige Mary J Blige live 2003. See what they talk about. What what are they saying she can't sing? What are they This was true this, this was over 10 years ago and they saying she can't sing. She talked about this was probably around the share my world era. And she said, I know I'm not the greatest singer. So she's not the greatest singer, but her voice has improved. <laughs> but she's never been Anita Baker. She knows this. She's never yeah. she's never been there. So to say she can't sing no more, like, what does that even mean? Laugh there. And the thing is, too, Mary J. Blige, who is not known for being the greatest dancer, has created her own dance. <laughs> She has. She's revolutionized it, I think. You gotta love Mary. Hey, don't hate on Mary. I'm saying, I may not agree with everything she believes in, and I'm giving her the side eye for you know, not speaking on R. Kelly, but I can't hate on Mary. I love me some Mary, and fight me. <laughs> fight me. I love me some Mary. And not to mention, she's a wonderful actress. I actually really enjoyed that movie, Mudbound, that she was nominated for an Emmy. <gasps> I want to see that. It's good. Oh, I like it. I remember when that came out, and I thought, I'm going to see it, I'm going to see it, and I never, I'm going to see it. But yeah, I I remember seeing an interview with her around the time it came out. She said it helped her a lot because she had to take off all the makeup and all the Yeah, clothes. she was this natural, natural black woman. Beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. Oh, I... Don't I'm tell don't come for Mary, all right? No, don't come. Exactly. No, I lo- I have never. The reason why I'm laughing about I, Mary has always been like when I discovered the '90s music and I just start jamming. Like I can listen to. I remember just being surprised of how much. I mean, she has jams. Mm-hmm. I can imagine the concert you went to was just lit because this woman has. She has hits. She has a lot of songs, you know, and it just and then she has a very good ability of just bringing back just that feel good feeling like i feel good when i listen to her music so i don't be hating on mary at all oh, look y'all need to because <laughs> look i'm gonna find y'all through the screen 
don't come for my sis Mary. And look, uh, I see in these comments, she's overrated. I'm like, no, she's not. Yeah, I remember, you know, speaking of this, and this is such a random thought. I don't know why. I, I still think of this randomly because it's such a random thing. But I remember one of my first experiences on social media. I believe it was, I don't even know if it was my special or BOGO or tagged even. It was one of those like first social media sites. And I went on my friend's page, one of my bestest friends in elementary school and our middle school. And in her description, she said, Mary J. Blige is overrated. And I remember we got into a huge argument about that. And I didn't even know Mary J. Blige like that. But I remember being like, why would you say Mary J. Blige is overrated? (laughs) This is the thing. It's like, again, just like we had in the last episode, Mary J. Blige has a cultural significance for us. Somebody saying she can't sing and she's over that. Anybody who African saying that, what's wrong with y'all? Like I, uh, I, I think you're right. I don't think the, I think these people's white. I don't know, cause I don't see their pictures. But Mary J. But everybody who's us is like Mary has spoken to me. She got me through some things. Like that's us talking. I don't know any one of us who says that Mary J. Blige is overrated. And it was a sold out crowd last night. So you tell me that she overrated. Come and tell me. Tell me that she's overrated. She speaks to us in whatever way. It, the fact that she creates her own dance, the fact that she sings through her pain and is working through healing, the fact that she got us through some times, whatever she means to us, she is married to us. And y'all ain't gonna comfort, y'all ain't gonna do it. Y'all ain't gonna do it. And the fact that she, is in the same vein as Isaac Hayes or Anita Baker. She does a cover and makes it her own. So y'all don't come for no Mary. Sweet thing, I'm going down. Don't come for Mary. Don't do it right now. Get out of here. I'm getting on Mary. I don't know why. <laughs> don't come for no Mary J. Blige. Don't do it. Mm-mm. Yeah, if y'all have some solid critiques of why you think she's overrated and you have reasons okay be like i'll do it you exactly but the fact that i mean it's like listen prince paid respect on that name he often did not do that the fact that when i saw that for whatever reason that was like wow he must really like you know but all of the points you stated like the fact that she's always been down always speaking for like the dance moves all of like just just there you know, and a good spirit. Like, she is so, I mean, I, I don't know if it's just a public persona or, but you look at interviews, just how she performs. She's humble. She always says, if it wasn't for y'all, I wouldn't be here today. If, if she says, if it wasn't for God and my fans, I would not be here today. And she's just like, I'm here for y'all. Like, she doesn't even have to do any of this. She could quit music and act. She, same thing with Janet. She, she could quit. Janet, she, too. Jan, Janet and Mary J. Blood, like, don't come for them. I don't agree with everything Janet does, but don't come for Janet. Like, I got massive respect for Janet. Don't come for either one of them. I'm telling y'all right now. Don't come for, don't come for these sisters. I'm telling you. Like, don't, 
the, the, do we have to have a segment in this podcast? Don't come for you. Don't. <laughs> God, I'm right. <laughs> don't come for no Mary and don't come don't for, come no, for no Mary. Don't come for no Jack. Do, don't do it. Put some respect don't. on their name. Show respect on their name. And Mary J. Bless is the only one that could wear a blonde wig and just rock it. I'm and sorry. rock it. I've always <laughs> loved. She always. <laughs> Her hairstyles are iconic. <laughs> I'm just saying, Mary, Mary, she could have that platinum blonde wig on and rock. <laughs> With them sunshades and them long boots. It's a wrap. Jean jacket, uh, leather jacket. See? that's a, And her fashion, like, she's for us. She don't care. I don't, she don't care about y'all. Talking come when she can't sing. I'm like, get out of here. I'm not trying to be like this, but I'm just calling it a bluff. That's white people. That's saying that. I don't know one black person that says that about Mary J. Blige. I mean, you might get someone that's like, she, man, I don't like, you know, I like Family Affair, but she ain't really like Rocky. But they're going to mention something. They ain't going to just be like, yeah, you know, I don't, she ain't for you then. Chill. Ain't for you. And the funny thing is, I, I was thinking about this. That's why I'm not too worried about our music because there's still stuff for us that white people are not going to get these yeah. cultural cues and I saw that during the Missy performance y'all can buy the music but there's still things you're not going to get out of it and the thing with our language is always changing and 15 months later they're like oh yeah that's that's ratchet <laughs> <laughs> but it's always changing. So by the time you say ratchets, we on something else. So we on something else, right? Yeah. We, we gotta appreciate our gifts. You know, and we may have disagreements with how things go down, but I was thinking a lot about that with Missy and now with Mary. They, it's a culture that, for some reason, hasn't gone mainstream. And I don't know why that is because Mary J. Blige is a mainstream artist, as is Missy. But for some reason, those cues have not gone mainstream. And I'm really appreciative of that. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing There's thing. some things that we are able to hold on to. And it's it's a good thing. It's really a good thing. And Michael Jackson, that's a tricky one. Because a lot of the cues that we have, he did behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. And yet, a lot of the Europeans are like, we know Michael Jackson because he presented himself in a particular fashion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I would say the same thing with Prince. So there was a lot of cues he had that his European fans didn't get either. But they didn't he- get a lot. And it's funny because mm-hmm. it's so it's everywhere, really. Like for someone who listens to Prince a lot, I can say that. That's what I've been able to appreciate probably way more now recently um, since he passed away in just listening back to his music, it's like, it's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. But they don't get it. Right. He did it in a way that was a little less obvious. He was very covert about it. Michael just did it behind the scenes. Missy and Mary J. Blige are way up front, but for some reason, they're the only ones that could do it. You don't see anyone dressing like Missy. People try to rhyme like Missy, but it doesn't work. Uh, so I don't know how people haven't gone on to them in this way where they were able to appropriate their styles. It's amazing that they were able to just maintain that. I don't. Uh, it, 
And I, I don't want to put too much out there. So people go, hmm, let me try. <laughs> but it's amazing that they were able to keep their artistic integrity, if you will, without it being appropriated. I don't, that is, that's a whole episode. I'm telling you. Missy <laughs> and Mary got to keep their artistic integrity and it nobody stole it. And people try to bite Missy's style, as she said in one of her most recent songs, try to bite my style, and I've been doing this for a while. Like, I'm right. Missy. Every time I come out, what happens? Everybody yeah. comes to me, right? <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's amazing. Absolutely amazing that yeah. they're able to, to keep that side of themselves. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's and I think how uh, Lil Nas X is doing it, is interesting too i think he's gonna be able to keep his style because he came out there like look (laughs) you know he plays the fiddle he does other things with his life he's not just doing this so Uh, i think somebody really needs to watch him and guard him because how did him in that barbershop situation uh, somebody needs that was not yeah that was not cool yeah before he gets eaten up and I think he has a good head on his shoulders but I think if he's not careful or has protective energy around him he's going to get eaten up and that's sad and I know he's been active in the social media community he was a Nicki Minaj stan so that's how people know him but in this stage of his life he needs to have his energy protected seriously especially as an out gay man uh, so, um, but yeah, it's just, it's so sad. <laughs> yeah. People need to, people decide to go in this, this industry and they don't protect themselves. They and, have to, that's crucial. Yeah, and that's the case with Micah Jackson. I, 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 uh, he didn't have enough protection. Uh, the DeBarges, a lot, a lot of, a lot of people. Uh, speaking of that. I wanted to discuss the DeBarges versus Jackson. This is not like who's better. In terms of uh, family trauma, you had the DeBarges who were all sexually abused, who were raped, and they all ended up on hard drugs. Some of them off the drugs, some of them off and on, still trying to go through a cycle of healing. With the Jacksons, there were varying levels of trauma. So some got married really early to get away from the trauma. Some decided to repeat the cycles of their abusive father and abuse their partners. Uh, Some decided to deal with it by being on painkillers. Some decided to take therapy. So there were varying levels of dealing with that trauma. The fact is, not dealt with trauma can last for generations. I am interested in your thoughts around why the debarges are not discussed when dealing with familiar trauma and how fame interconnected with that versus how everyone talks about the Jacksons. You know, that's a good question. And I can honestly say I am fairly new to the debarges in, in the sense that I knew about their talent. I read about it and and I watched that little, I feel like there was a docu-series or something that they had out that I watched a bit of. I didn't fully finish it, but when I found out about just all of them being abused and then turning to drugs, you know, that's just heartbreaking. And I think for whatever reason, they're not talked about as much. And 
I didn't, again, I really didn't know much about their music. Like, I did not, I wasn't raised on it. So I can think of, like, the songs I can think of, I'm not even sure if it's the band or if it's just Elder Bars. Like, the middle of the night. I know that one. It's both. So it is the barge, but they propped uh, Eldra up. So that was uh, in the Last Dragon soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I love that song. And there are a couple other ones, but I really wouldn't know why they're not as talked about. You would think that they would be, especially since they all, I mean, it seems like the Jacksons, I mean, individually, they've dealt with it the way they have. I mean, some of them, like Randy, for instance, he's been off the railings for a while, from what it seems, and they've all just sort of dealt with it. But they have to, I mean, they have to find a way to deal with it. Like you said, if you're not dealing with it, it's going to deal with you. And it can be very traumatic for your future if you're not really that's what's so unfortunate about this life experience. All right. I'm not saying that's how it is for everybody, but if you're going through something and if you're just, you know, trauma that you didn't request for, and if you don't have the persistence to, to look into the mirror or to just change that, to even know what it is and you're just carrying it and you don't have an idea what it is, you know, that's why talking to someone is important. I think you would enjoy the Elder Barge album that was produced by Maurice White. That's an excellent album. I um, have no doubt it is. Yeah, it's excellent. Bunny the Barge had solo albums. And she worked with Four Force. Um, no, that was Latoya. Who was it? No, Rebe worked with Four Force. See, I'm mixing them up now. But uh, Bunny had solo albums. Rebe had three solo albums. Three, yeah, Centipede, Are You Tough Enough, and yeah. And uh, the one with uh, Yours Faithfully. So she had three that I know of. So, yeah, I mean, they're doing solo work, but always Motown, of course, the machine likes to prop up one individual person. So in the DeBarge's case, it was Eldra. In the Jackson's case, it was Michael. (laughs) It's a shame not not everyone could get their fair share. Someone argues, and I'm going to ask you this question. I don't know if you... I would like to know what you think. Like, if... Michael's brothers and family got the same preferential treatment. Like, let's say there was no disconnect between, like, obviously there was. Like, Michael was the one that they leaned most towards. And in the case of the DeBarges, it's Eldra. So do you feel like if they all were given that shot to just shine? Because I'm not even sure if they would argue that they were, like, I'm sure Jermaine would, like, undeniably. But... Do you feel like that would have changed how they're perceived now? Or do you feel Michael just had it? And in the case of Elder Barge, he just had it. And there's nothing Motown could have done to really, you know, bring in that kind of audience for them. Are you saying that if they were more unified or if it was less hierarchical, they wouldn't make as many numbers? Or do you think that would have contributed? Yeah, in some way, like if they were less package you can be unified or something less hierarchical and still have roles in the band anyone who was declared to be the best singer they would be up front so that could have been tito whoever so they each would have had an equal share in the band i still think they would have been as successful because it was this idea that they were unified i mean it was even this idea that they played on their albums when that was not the case I think they still would have had the amount of success. 
if they were all encouraged in the same way. Right. I think, That's the question. Like, if Joe, <laughs> yeah, gave them all that kind of, like, believability. He obviously didn't. I think they, outside of Michael, would have been more successful. They might have went their separate ways, but I think each of them would have honed their craft a little bit more than if Michael were just being pushed in the way he was. I think it, some of them were like, well, I didn't really want to do this anyway, so it's a right. waste of time. Uh, Jermaine, I think he's like, well, I want to be that. He just was pushing to have that amount of fame no matter what. And Jackie didn't want to be in a band in the first place. He wanted to play sports, but he got pushed into it. Marlon was the only one really who was successful outside of music. He did real estate. And then he had a TV company with his wife. So he went and said, you know what? I'm going to diversify my portfolio. I'm going to do this stuff. I think, yeah, if they were encouraged to pursue whatever dreams they had, I think they would have been successful in whatever they did. But Michael, because from a young age he wanted to perform, I think he would have been successful at it, whether or not he was pushed or beaten or whatever. He would have pursued his dreams because he was persistent at that. With the DeBarges, I think the same thing. I think they would have pursued whatever dreams or goals they wanted to have if it was more unified. They might have all continued to work in music. Um, I think a lot of them probably would have just gone to church and maybe uh, fronted a band or something. But I think when kids are encouraged to fulfill their dreams, they're going to be more successful at it. If you're taking the wrong dance steps and being beaten at it, if you're being told you're ugly and you're being made to make money for your manager, you're not going to enjoy it as much. So right. if, if your parents say, hey, I know you want to be a musician, Here, here's a piano, go practice or something, versus, hey, I want you to be a pianist, go practice it eight times, eight hours a day. Two different things. Yeah, so it I, becomes a very weird relationship you might have with that, which Michael did speak about. Like, I'm sure as much as he loved it, he hated it because it had just, like, I don't even, yeah, I would see hate as a justifiable word. I mean, it's a big word to use, but then, I mean, when you think of the connection to what he was doing, it's like he had to do it even though it broke him down and he didn't like a lot of aspects about it at all. Well, he eventually said, I hate performing. And since the thriller era he's like i don't like touring and he always threatened to quit so it's a part of his job that he didn't like because performing when you're doing tours there's a certain amount of control you don't have lights could go out as evidence from his experience um, things could fall down and break his back or something so yeah. there's amount of control you don't have on a tour versus a televised performance and he yeah. loved a televised performance because <laughs> control where things are edited and and he could control how things are produced on an album he was all about control to take from a janet song but uh -huh. he was he was about how things went and also the amount of uh, energy you expend when you're on a tour and there's just a lot of work behind it a lot of money you may not get back so i understand how draining touring is he also understood that came from the territory because he's gonna make his fans happy <laughs> right <laughs> but 
had he grown up in a different, more encouraging environment, he might have had a different perspective to touring and performing in general. Uh, I don't know, but I think also if they, they had a less hierarchical structure in that family, he might have stayed with his family longer. They actually might have been mm-hmm. a group until the 90s. Who knows? I don't, I can't see that. That's a good question, too. What if that would have been a very interesting fight there? I mean, I do think Michael had, the thing is, independently, even with his family, he, all of his siblings knew, yeah, but Mike have something, you know? Right. It's a bit right. like he couldn't really escape, though. His light was too big to just to stay in that dynamic. And then, I don't know, but that's still an interesting idea. Like, what if they would have stayed to the 90s? That would have been interesting. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much that would have worked, given the changes in the musical landscape. I mean, with the 2300 Jackson Street album, it was leaning more towards New Jack, so you had nothing compares to you, or nothing that compares to you, things like that. But would they have been able to sustain that? I don't know. Michael was always shifting how he viewed music or producers because the industry was always changing. Would the Jacksons be able to sustain that? I can't say. I think with Jermaine, because he's done stuff that's more jazz, and I think Jermaine, because he's more of a classical vocalist to me, he works more in that vein. His main vocal inspiration was Marvin Gaye. So if he were to stay there, I think he would have been massively successful. Uh-huh. If, trying to go the Michael route with Dynamite, and no, <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 no. If he uh-huh. continued the Marvin Gaye route, if he was like rocking after, I think it would have worked for him occasionally he did go that route and he did you know don't take a person i think that worked for him but when he's trying to rehash michael jackson on these jackson tours <laughs> it doesn't work it doesn't right. work because everyone's just like why are you trying to be like michael michael's going he wears the jacket and everything he takes yeah. it to the fullest level yeah don't just, just sing the songs don't try to rehash your brother who's gone people want to see michael not a rehash from his brother yeah and tito tito Look, I ain't going front. Tito does Steppers jams. Tito's like, look, I'm doing my thing. Like, I'm not <laughs> trying to be like no Michael. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, I, that's, I think had they been more encouraged to pursue in ways that were healthy, Tito would have done the kind of music he wanted to do long ago. And he's like, yeah, I'm just chilling. I'm just going to do whatever. I'm going to raise my kids. And Jackie... You know, he did music, too. They all did music solo. Um, and right. he, his first record came out was 78, 79. So how can I be sure? So it was on uh, Epic. So, it, so, I mean, they're always doing something. Uh, they all have immense amount of talents. Even the record that Randy came out with in 92. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. that album is amazing. Don't front on these guys. Like everyone's focused on Michael. They all have talent. And if they were more encouraged to do that, if they didn't push Michael out so much, I think they would have equally pursued their dreams. And I'm not saying, oh, don't push Michael. I'm just saying Michael, regardless, as I said, would have been out there anyway because he was persistent about it. But because he was pushed out there in a way that he wanted, the the other guys may have felt like, whoa, what's the point? 
So I, I think, you know, Jackie, I, Jackie's first album is Stylistics covers and Motown was like, yeah, we'll just give you an album. Jermaine's music on Motown was dope, but everyone's like, eh, you know. So they all, Jermaine is an amazing bass player, but he's so focused on trying to be Michael Jackson now. You don't have to do that. Just be you. Just be you and you'll be fine. And that's what I appreciate about Tito because he's like, look, we made it. He's on records with Big Daddy Kane and Betty Wright. It's just like, look, I'm a grown ass man. I'm making grown ass music. I'm not trying to be nobody but Tito. And I appreciate it. So just do what you got to do. And I think with the, the barges, some of them stopped doing music and they decided to just be in the church. And that's where they're at. That the amount of damage that happened to the barges, I don't know why it doesn't get emphasized. It's weird that it doesn't. Because <laughs> I, toe for toe, I don't, I don't want to, uh, say which amount of family trauma was worse. I don't think it's a contest. I'm just saying I think the most damages did happen to the DeBarges because they actually did do hard drugs. You don't really hear about any of the Jacksons having a history with hard drugs. Um, so there's that part. But there was also you know spousal abuse or domestic violence or you know, um, pill addiction. So, and there's different levels of it. It's just so yeah. easy. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I wanted to, because I'm not going to remember this. And this is another episode where we have ran- some of these episodes, we have random thoughts. But I did want to address cancel culture, because that, that's really rounding everything out. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Rhapsody, because that's it's commingled with cancel culture. So a lot of people are praising Rhapsody. She's been out for a while, but her album Eve is successful. Everyone's praising her as being this new age of hip hop where you don't have to shake your ass and all of this. We're forgetting that element of rap music slash hip hop has been there for years. There's always been hip hop that was quote ratchet uh, it was in uh, different forms. If you look at the early 80s, they talked about gunslinging too. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all forget about Just Ice. Y'all forget about all of that. Uh, I don't know, man. But uh, because she has this album Eve and she's talking about different women and each song represents a woman. One of them is Okra. <laughs> One of them is Michelle Obama. Uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I tried to give that album a listen. I got, I listened to a couple of songs. I wasn't able to finish it mainly because I just, I guess, I wasn't in the mood. But I did try to give it a listen originally, and I remember liking the first track. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. And there's a song that's dedicated to Whoopi Goldberg. So each song is a different theme. Like the, it's associated with the name, and she may not say the name, but if you listen closely to the lyrics, it's related to word association. A lot of people are praising her again as being the savior of female hip hop. Again, there's no diversity. There always has to be one woman to save yeah. all the other women in hip hop. Massage Noir is very deep when commenting about these things. And even she makes allusions to that 
where it's like, oh, see, I don't have to take off my clothes. I can roll with the guys. And there was a pretty good article in OK Player that's referring to that where she's even giving into the male gaze. I will post the article in the description. And I think that is a valid perspective to have because there's so many women. There's women like Jean Grey, one of the greatest MCs of all time, man or woman. And she's not getting any credit. Everyone's saying, oh, Rassi. And Rassi is, come on, she comes with it. I'm just saying, why is she now pointed to because there's Nicki Minaj or Cardi B, she's yeah. supposed to be the savior when there's women that's been here the whole time doing that. And right. there's Saw Rock, there's women who don't take off their clothes and rock just as hard. Saw Rock's another MC that's amazing, but no one gives her credit. Why can't you have more than one sister doing this? Why can't you say Rhapsody is amazing, but so is Jean Grey, so is Sarah, so is Roxanne Shante. Why can't we celebrate all of our sisters in rap and hip hop? And again, there's been diversity. And with Jermaine Dupri's comment, he's insane, insane. Jermaine Dupri. I mean, he's the one who said that I look for a success of a record based on how it does in the strip joint. So aren't you the one that's promoting the music that you're claiming women do? The amount of, the amount of contradiction, the amount of this hypocrisy in these statements. I know, it was ridiculous. The amount of misogyny in these statements. So you're saying, you're looking at how successful something is in a strip joint and then blaming the women for doing that kind of music and say, oh, stripper rap. And you even promoting some of those artists. <laughs> Sounds like my neck, my back. When a woman is holding her own and doing that, oh, stripper rap. Oh, but men do the same thing. There's a lot of men talking talking about harming each other, murdering each other, all of this stuff. And I'm hopped up on all these drugs, but yet you're pointing to women? You know, it's just a bunch of strippers out doing music. Yeah, ugh. I remember when I read that. I saw the video and it's just like he looked so silly because <laughs> the amount of contradictions in his uh, Jermaine Dupree. Gee whiz. Janet, come get your man. Janet. Hey, Janet, like, I hear my man. Janet left him. Janet, come get your man. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, if you listen to this, come get your man. Come get your man. <laughs> I'm gonna have to cancel him. <laughs> the brat, that he put, he 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 helped put the brat out. He don't even mention her. And I'm just, I'm like, wait, dude. Dude, exactly. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you? Making it that rappers are doing like if it's a male rapper, it's rap, but if a woman doing it, it ain't rap. Like that's that's insane. The <laughs> amount of yeah, ugh. misogynoir is real. It's really real. Oh my goodness. No, it's not. That was that's one of the most blunt ways you can see it because he's contra- this is coming from a producer who's produced female rappers. He actually has them on his label. And he's saying that it's not, it ain't nothing. It ain't really nothing deep in that. It ain't really nothing deep in that. Like, you just literally, so there's nobody? You can't point to, like, no one. Nobody. <laughs> like, no, no, no Missy. Not not even Missy. Yeah, not even Missy. Like, how disrespectful. Like, I hope she never 
Well, she usually worked with uh, homeboy Timbaland, but anyway, yeah, don't ever work with him again if she ever did. But she probably did. I don't know. <laughs> and there are so many women that are forgotten because when they talk about top tens and top twenties, again, Jean Grey is not listed. Saw Rock, Mickey D, not listed. None of these women are. A lot of people say Roxanne Chante, but MC Light people don't mention. Yeah, insane. People do mention Lisa Lee. Uh, people forgot about all of these MCs who happen to be women. It's just amazing. So everyone's like Nicki Minaj, Cardi B. It's like wow. Well, these are people who are not historians. These people of the day, they don't look into the the history at all. Wow. It's forgotten, unfortunately. Is amazing that you can't even you, you say I love hip hop on my hip hop. I don't even know if people say they're hip hop heads anymore. But pe- somebody who says that and leaves out Lisa Lee, Antoinette, <laughs> Vanessa and Sequence, Sequence, Angie Stone. If you leave out any of that and call yourself a hip hop head and then talk about women in hip hop, then get out of here. Get, get, you can't you cannot mention Rhapsody without mentioning a Shantae, without mentioning a light. You can't do it. You can't do it. To talk about Rhapsody in the context of just Cardi B or Nicki Minaj, it... That just shows you they're not listening. You know, not listening. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And to me, that is part of cancel culture. It's canceling out histories of particular groups of people if you want to get into cancel culture <laughs> yeah when you break it down that is what it is i mean people have to be responsible to history and the problem is most people don't they don't know the history they're not looking up the history they're not interested in history they're not looking at the the dots right kitty oh you still don't want to say that olivia <laughs> cancel culture for me is defined as not including a process of accountability. This is why I don't like cancel culture. Because when they talk about it, it's like, oh, I'm going to be on social media and say this person needs to be canceled. But there's no organizational or mass process where there's some standards to say, okay, if we're going to hold you accountable, what are some things that we have to agree on you're going to do in order to repair this situation. But that doesn't happen. It's like, oh, he's canceled. And that's why I don't like it. Because it's not a process where the masses are making a decision about how things can be either repaired or just changed. It's just problematic to say cancel culture because that's like, okay. It's just reactionary <laughs> as opposed to right. uh, tribalism using too. mobilization or even organization. I like, huh? <laughs> Do you have any last words? Well, I would say, you know, the opposite of or one way we can combat cancel culture is to encourage like you share with me when you didn't read the um, or you didn't watch the movie Django, but you read, you know, somebody was kind enough to send you the script. Like, I think sometimes we feel like we don't like there's this whole idea now on social media like i don't have to educate you it's not my responsibility to inform you of this that and the third you know and i do get that from some level 
especially if people are expecting labor from which they could learn themselves. But because a lot of people do, there are trolls that don't do the work and they just assume you're going to do it for them. And I ain't yep. down with that. And I, I don't feel like no one should have to educate no one who's unwilling to, to find out themselves. But I do think it's still helpful sometimes to just say, hey, you know what? You don't know this, but if you're willing, if you're willing to go there with me, if you're willing to verify it from another angle, I can, you know, give you this or, you know, you can share information and references so that people can look it up themselves and not be just talent pulled into the usual expectation. So I would just encourage people to to share the wealth of knowledge. I mean, I think that's what knowledge is, is knowledge is wealth. So share it. You know something, let somebody know. And you don't have to do it in a way where it's like you sending them long videos like the Illuminati people used to do. Like, oh, let me show you how the Illuminati is real about making this 45 minute video explaining a detail that was only 30 seconds. You don't have to do that. You can do it in ways that are more approachable, more just quick to the point. And, you know, people can be led to make their own assumptions. It's all about how you give people the benefit. Like, hey, just maybe have you thought of it this way? Have you looked at it that way? You know, just starting the conversation. So that's all I would say. We can replenish our approaches as we proceed with caution. Prepare to proceed to And continue to rock so much. Thank you so much for this other episode you're listening to. We will put our information down if you want to contact us, if you have any questions, concerns, critiques, praise, whatever it is for you, any organizations you want us to know about. Of course, they have to be anti-racist, anti, you know, all of that, because we don't run with hate like that. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully you know that at this point. I also want to say... And maybe we'll make this in this episode. We've been doing this podcast for a year, Jesse. Yeah, I was about to say it's been a year because I looked in my memories and yeah. So we got to do a, 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 a quote birthday episode. Maybe that'll be yeah. the next. <laughs> we should. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So uh, happy birthday to us, right? <laughs> <laughs> Music and weed. That includes those who are listening. You yeah. too. Thank you for being here with us for the year, and hopefully you'll be with us in whatever capacity. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes.